You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors come to share their stories, insights and tips. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line. Like I say, he's one of my favorite people on the planet and one of the best instructors you're going to find anywhere. He's Golf Tip Magazine's Top 25 instructor, and he's the new director of instruction at the Hawthorns Golf Club and Country Club up in Frischers, Indiana, and that's Mr. Tom Patrick. Good evening, TP. How are you tonight, my friend? Christopher, I am doing so good. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Is that right? Y'all settled in yeah. now up in Indiana? Yeah, I am. I'm a Hoosier now. I'm a, I'm an honorary Hoosier here here in Fishers, and uh, I've been here now. Let's see, I've been here five days, and I got to tell you something. The Hawthorns, which I had never played until I got here, although I'd just seen it one time, drove around it. I got to play this week, and it is really hard. It's a hard golf course, and uh, the old pro's got his hands full. Uh, it's it's a really good golf course. There's only there's only 18 good holes out there, so it's it's, it's uh, you got to strap it on pretty good. <laughs> and I and I tell you what, Tom, and I saw some of the videos that you have posted this week on social media, and it looks like you're having an immediate impact on improving some of the swings of, of the membership up there. And I really like the TP logo. You got a TP logo board that helps people with proper takeaway and swing plane. And I saw some of the members up there swinging around that thing. Talk about that and the, the immediate impact you're having. Yeah, well, first of all, I got to give a shout out to Tommy Moore and his whole staff there who welcomed me, and the whole membership's been just incredibly, incredibly friendly. My first, uh, my first week on the job, it's been, it's been a pretty easy transformation up here. It's been just terrific. So thank you, Tommy Moore, and thank you, the membership of the Hawthorns. But yeah, I, I, I built a little plane board, uh, a real simple plane board before I left Naples, and uh, it's something I believe in as far as path and plane and, and keeping the club in front of you and, and nodding it behind you get trapped. So it's it's a really simple device. Anybody can check it out it's on my Facebook page. You saw it posted there, Chris, and uh, anybody that's interested, I'm, I'm glad to get uh, information to them. We're actually going to build them and, uh, and manufacture them and, and, and sell them to people who want to uh, get on planes. Wow. All right. So you got to let me know when those things are available. You use one of those in my backyard, I'll tell you that. No, you don't need one. Your 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 golf swing doesn't need that. You're, you're, I, I see your social media post from. I see your post from Myrtle Beach. You're, you don't need that at all. You're perfect. <laughs> I appreciate you, Tom. So here we hey, are, TP PGA to... Championship Week. Beth Page Black being the site of this week's major, and which uh, is right in the backyard from where you grew up. So talk about that area and the time you spent out at Beth Page. Okay, can you imagine an area where you can you can just go? Let's go down the list. Death Page Black, Death Page Red, which by the way, if you don't know anything about Death Page Red, it's really really good. Okay, Shinnecock National, Maidstone, Friars Head, Sabonic, Atlantic, Meadowbrook, the Creek Club. I mean, you know, Long Island's pretty pretty strong, uh, and we haven't even got to Westchester County or upstate New York. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up playing some golf at Beth Page uh, State Park. It's a public golf course. I was a public course kid, and uh, it, architecturally, I mean, if you haven't been to Beth Page Black and, you, and it's the only picture you've seen on TV, TV um, like Augusta doesn't do Beth Page Black any justice at all. Uh, I, I think personally, it might be Tillinghouse best. And I'm, a, you know, I'm a Wingfoot fan and I'm, I'm a Tilly fan, but Beth Page Black is. 
you talk about strapping it on now. There is, you know, you better have your seatbelt on in the first tee because it's, it's, it's a tough, tough, brutally long, punishing and fair, by the way. Everything's right in front of you. No, no tricks, no, no gimmicks. It's just a hard championship golf course. And Tom, to that end, right? For those of us who fancy the opportunity to play there someday, since it is, like you mentioned, a public golf course, but they actually have warning signs posted that the black course is extremely difficult and should only be played by accomplished golfers. Do you think that's, you know, is that really the case? Is there just not a way for a guy like me who may shoot, you know, in the mid eighties on a normal day to go out there and enjoy that golf course? Is it just going to beat the heck out of me? Well, if, if, you, if you go out there with an expectation that you're going to conquer Beth Page Black and you're going to be able to hold your own out there, and I don't really care, Chris, what skill level you're playing at. I don't care if you're if you're a three at your home course, or you're a five, or you're an eleven, or you're a twenty. You can just tack five to seven to ten more on the first trip around there. One, first of all, in fairness, anybody who goes out there and plays, uh, regardless of skill level, like like every championship golf course, it takes a while to learn the nuances of a golf course that's that well laid out. So that that alone, just just the new trip around there the first time is going to punish you a little bit. And then if you don't have your A game that day and you're an 11, well, you can you're going to be a 19 or a 20 that day at Best Page Black. And you, you know, wow. it, it, it's just that hard. I mean, I you know I played a lot of of the lot a lot of the top hundred golf courses in this country. Probably I think I played 83 or 84 of them. Um, you know, Oakmont to me is a very difficult golf course. Overseas, Carnoustie is a very difficult golf course. Well, Beth Page Black is every bit as hard as Oakmont, every bit as hard as Carnoustie. And I think architecturally, because some of the elevation changes, um, it's it's really hard. And if you if you have a really big ego and you're a single digit handicap, and you decide to go out there and play from the back, you know, I'm going to play where the pros play from. Well, there's you know, if you look at the golf course, there's five. Number five, number eight, ten, eleven, twelve, fifteen, and sixteen can be stretched over five hundred yards as par fours. So have a wow. nice day. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, par seventy, not par seventy-two. So seventy-four or seventy-five hundred yards, par seventy. Okay. And if, I, if people understand golf, they'll understand that a par seventy at seventy-four hundred yards with elevation change. Uh, and incredible bunkering, incredible bunkering is uh, is quite a test. So you've seen it over the course of several years, and I, I think not all that long ago they did a, a bit of renovation and transformation out on the golf course. So talk about the before and after effect. So, Chris, I, I started playing there when I was probably 13 or 14 or 15 years old. I can't exactly remember when. I'm 60 now. And then before the first open was played there, which I believe was 02, is that correct? Check me on that. Um, yep. they, you know, they did a major, a major renovation of the property. But when I was growing up playing golf there, literally the place was in a shambles. I mean, there was glass in the bunkers, glass on greens, you know, beer cans and garbage. I remember the back of the, what is now the championship tee on number nine, there was an old burned out Volkswagen back there in the woods on the tee, what is now the tee ground. There was an original tee back there that had gone to weed, and somebody had driven a car back there and set it on fire. It was just left there. There were there were uh, there some old car tires laying 
around the property. It was it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And and you know they they made it to the state of New York and and the uh, USJ originally made a commitment to put the golf course back into condition. I remember playing there with my friends as a little kid and saying, you know, if they ever if they ever fix this place up, they could play a U.S. Open here. Well, <laughs> my dream came true. They played a U.S. Open there and more. You know, it's it's been an incredible transformation. Reese Jones did a wonderful job in not disturbing the original intent of Tillinghouse. The state of New York and USGA did a wonderful job in not disturbing the original intent of Tillinghouse. And the transformation has been absolutely incredible. The, the agronomists that participated, um, the people who work there day to day take a lot of pride in the facility now. It's, uh, it's been an incredible, as, as a, as a native Long Islander and as a golf professional and as a passionate golfer, it's, uh, it's, it's made my heart so happy to see that whole facility. And by the way, the, the trickle-down effect is that red's in better shape, blue's in better shape, green's in better shape, and yellow's in better shape. Five golf courses there, and they're all they're all reaping the benefits of the uh, of the revenue that's been produced and poured into the facility. It is, without question, in my mind, the premier public facility in the world. So, Tom, you've talked you know about the condition of the course. You've talked about elevation change. Now. They got an inch of rain up there yesterday. There's a chance for more rain on Friday. High temperatures are going to be in the mid-60s, lows in the low 50s. So it's going to be cool. Got an opportunity for it to be damp. The rough up there is already very lush from what I'm hearing from the players. So it seems like it's going to have a premium on driving the ball in the fairway. What's it going to take to win up there this week? Well, I, I think, Chris, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You know, when the golf course plays soft, you know, the ball will stay in the fairways effectively play wider. Uh, the greens hold better. Okay, so, you know, you, you give that to a skilled player, and he now has an advantage. The disadvantage is, with cool temperatures and soft fairways, the ball does not go as far. So, listen, let's face it, today's modern player hits at a mile. Hits at a mile. So, if somebody has a good driving week in terms of accuracy and dispersion, and it's a Brooks Kepler or it's a Tiger or it's, or it's a John Rahm or, or anybody that bombs it, okay, they have a distinct advantage. I don't, I feel sorry for the Jim Furyk's and the Zach Johnson's of the world. They're going to wear out their hybrid and their five wood and their three wood. I, I, they're going to wear it out. And I just don't think, and I have a lot of respect for those guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not disrespecting anybody, but the player that does not bomb the golf ball this week and it's soft fairways and, and the length of that golf course is really going to struggle. So I think what you've effectively done with those temperatures in that rain is you've eliminated probably half the field. So if you make a little chart this tonight before you go to Betty by and you put down Brooks Kepka and you put Nicholson down and you put Tiger down and you put, you put whoever, whoever kind of comes to mind that can keep the ball in the air a long time, you can, you can eliminate the rest of those guys because those guys have a big advantage this week. But what about the driving accuracy piece of that, Tom? I mean, you know, I don't think anyone would ever categorize Phil Mickelson as a accurate driver of the golf ball, and probably not even Tiger for that matter. Because if you stray and now you get into that lush rough that's going to be wet and it's going to be cool, and to your point, the ball's not going to travel as far, you'd be hacking it out of there, couldn't you? Chris, I mean, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep the ball in play. I mean, you gotta drive the ball, you know long and straight. So 
I disagree a little bit on Tiger. I think Tiger's driving gets a bad rap. I think he's smart enough to hit three wood and can still hit the three wood in an awful long ways. Uh, Phil, I question his, his brightness sometimes and his decisions off of tees. Um, so I, I, I don't like, Phil wouldn't be in my, wouldn't be one of my picks. Um, but stranger things have happened. But, you know, Brooks drives the ball beautifully. Uh, Dustin Johnson, who I, we haven't mentioned yet, drives the ball beautifully. Um, so it's going to be somebody who drives the ball in play and, and has, has some speed, no doubt about it. So from a, from a course layout perspective, Tom, is this a, is this a left to right hitter's dream? Is this a right to left hitter's dream? Who, from a shot shaping perspective, who does the course favor? Well, I'm just going through it in my mind right now as you ask that question. So one's a dog leg right. Two requires a little draw. Three is a straight ball. Uh, five is a little bit of a cut. Uh, six is a draw. Seven's a fade. So you see the pattern. There is no pattern. You've got yeah. to be able to move the ball both yeah. ways. And one, and one of the brilliances of, I think, of Chile and of, of all great architects is they make you hit a variety of golf shots in championship play. And that page will test every shot you've got in your bag. I promise you, Chris, every club in your bag better be sharp because there's no let-up anywhere in that golf course. None. Zero. Number two, they talk about number two being a relatively short par four. It's really, really tight. you got to shape it right to left perfectly. The green is very elevated, very elevated. You're going to hit a relatively short iron in there, but no depth perception. It's a very deep green. Uh, you, you got to get on the right quadrant on the green on the second shot. It's it's almost a blind, not blind, but it's a very uphill. You'll see the top of the flagstick type of shot. It's a really great short par four. Um, and I'm trying to think of any what I would categorize any other great short par fours. 18 plays relatively short for these guys, but it's extremely well bunkered, and it's the second shot is straight up the hill uh, to finish. So the holes are all slight. I mean, maybe categorizing as slight let up holes. Then they get a little tighter and they get a little bit more extreme in, in terms of elevation change. So he's used the piece of land beautifully. He he, you know, it's a Picasso on grass. It's it's just a great layout. So Tom, you've mentioned a couple of players' names so far. Who who do you expect to be at the top of the leaderboard come late Sunday afternoon? Well, if it wasn't Chris Mascaro and it wasn't Tom Patrick, which are two of my favorites. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you, you, how too. can you not? Yeah, exactly, exactly. How can you, after your introduction and the things you spurred in terms of stats, which I had already read, how can you leave Brooks out of that? Brooks has got to be one of your top picks. Uh, I think yep. DJ has got to be a top pick. I know, I know DJ kind of, kind of, uh, you know, spit the bit at Hilton Head a couple weeks ago. I think that's an anomaly. I don't think that stays with the I think great players have short memories. So I think Brooks, I think DJ's back in the mix. My my dark horse and who and I think it's more of an emotional dark horse than anything is Ricky Fowler. I think Ricky drives the ball beautifully and he puts the ball like like Jesus, you know. What I mean, so we're, we're all waiting for Ricky to have that breakout week. Um, John Rom, you can't discount John Rom because he's just so strong and drives the ball beautifully and and he's so hungry. Um, but listen. Don't, don't we all want to see Tiger and Brooks on Sunday? Don't, isn't that what we want to see? I mean, I think, I think everybody, listen, let's, let's forget all the other stuff. We want to see Tiger and Brooks and maybe DJ and throw Ricky in the mix and you know, that'd be a lot of fun. But, you know, I think those are my names that, you know, come to mind immediately. Tom, switching gears a little bit. 
a tournament that's going to get almost no attention this week, which is a crime, is the Women's U.S. Senior Open Championship, which is being played at a spectacular course, Pine Needles, over in Southern Pines, North Carolina. This seems like an egregious scheduling error by the LPGA and the USGA to have this event going on over there. What do you thought? I mean, we're going to miss out on, I think, on some great golf because it's going to be in relative obscurity. So I'm going to first say how bad I feel for those senior women golfers who are really talented and, and deserve to be showcased. And then I'm going to get in a lot of trouble by saying, how many times can the USGA screw up in in one decade? Can, can they do it 50 times? Can they do it 60 times? You know, I mean, I mean, how stupid do you have to be to try to get an event that's only a couple years old off the ground and promote women's senior golf? And then let's just schedule that opposite the PGA Championship in Metropolitan New York on Beth Page Black. Let's just schedule that event opposite the PGA Major in Metropolitan New York. Let's just do that. That's a really good idea, don't you think? That's a great idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, Indeed. I, I mean, I mean, it's just the most, pardon me, pardon my French, asinine decision in the history of major championship golf, and they do it on a regular basis. Nice job, USGA. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't. I. I, I just. I can't imagine being a part of that planning session. And putting it on the calendar and either A, nobody realized that the PGA championship was moving to May and they did it so far in advance that, that, uh, they couldn't undo it. I, I don't know. It just makes zero sense to me, Tom. To your point, I mean, this is a relatively new event on the senior women's tour and to have it against the PGA championship. I don't know. I, I can't imagine that they couldn't have gone back and changed it when the dates changed for the PGA and moved it a week or so to get it out of the way of a men's major championship. But this is a, a disaster for this tournament because it's going to be on the Golf Channel at 3 a.m. on reruns, and that's the only time anyone might tune in to watch it. It's a shame because these talented women deserve better than that. With you. They, they sure they, they do. And, and, and listen, I am... I am all for that event. I think it's a great event for women's golf. I think it's a great event for senior women's golf. I think it's a necessary event for senior women's golf. It should be showcased. It should be put on a pedestal. These are these are women that are legends that paved the way for today's players. They deserve better than this. And you know what? To put it on a great venue like Pine Needles, last year's Chicago Golf Club, two great, great venues, and, and then put it opposite a, ma- a men's major, I, it just it's just... It's just plain, flat, stupid. Yes, agreed. Tom, a couple more before I let you go, and you know I got to I got to get some playing lessons from you, right? And the first playing lesson that I think that uh, some of us could benefit from is, and and you've drilled into my head over the years: short game, short game, short game. So help me, help us all understand bounce, Right. I mean, some of us, I think, need need more bounce. Some of us need less bounce, depending on our swing plane and how we compress the golf ball. Talk about when do I need more bounce? What type of player do I need to be to have more bounce and what type of player needs less bounce? Great, great question. I think, first of all, Bob Volke is a good friend of mine and a wonderful, wonderful man, besides being very talented at what he does in designing golf clubs. But, you know, um, 
Bob took me under his wing, not too long ago, and, and helped me understand a lot of things. Bounce is your friend. People, I wish they'd never called it bounce, because people think think that that means that the club's going to bounce on tight lies, and it doesn't mean that at all. So what I do in my teaching course is I rename two parts of the club. I rename the leading edge of the club, the digger, and I rename the bounce, the skitter. So if you want the club to take a divot and you want to gouge you out of a bad lie or an embedded lie in a bunker, you want to square the face up and you want to lead the, use the leading edge. But I can show you, and I wish you know, we were in a more visual medium, that I can lay the bounce of the club on the ground, laying the club open, laying the bounce on the ground on the tightest of lies, and just nip it off that lie because the skitter will help you receive the ground better if you know how to use it. So I think people don't understand that. They don't know how to use the golf club. Bounce is your friend. I am an advocate of more bounce, more times than not, than less bounce. But to your point, Chris, and a great question, if you're a very vertical player, if you're, you're a steep player, a steep incline player, you want more bounce. If you're a real shallow approach player and you tend to hit thin shots, you need less bounce. So if you would go to VokiWedgeWorks.com, there's a lot of information there about wedge design, an explanation of wedge design, and different grinds and lofts and bounce characteristics that will really educate you and open your eyes to what you might need in your fitting process with wedges in terms of bounces. Uh, Bob is a genius. The website is highly educational. It's really an eye-opener for the average player, but that's where I would start. And Tom, sticking with the short game and around the greens, when should we be using a wedge, a sand wedge, or a lob wedge, and when are we more, you know, when are we better off using a lower lofted club like a seven or an eight iron? Well, I, I think that's a lost art, Chris. First of all, and before I go into that explanation, one thing I need to know from you is: in Myrtle Beach, were you a winner or a loser with those boys? I was a winner, actually, okay, by a couple of strokes. My boy Angelo Kane, right there with me, so. We're about even, yeah. but uh, I think I edged him. I love that. That's good news. Okay, so back to your question. That's very important, Chris, for the listeners, because you, you weren't, I know you're not going to beat your own chest, but I want to give you a little plug there. So that's, that was important. <laughs> I uh, appreciate you. Yeah, right, exactly. So I think the, the, the shot around the greens played with a six, seven, and eight iron, uh, what we call, what we used to call a chip shot. I think that's a lost art. And I think we get away from that, and we shouldn't get away from that, because that's a shot that we have to have in our bag. So I think we, in general, we reach for too much loft too many times. When we can get the ball on the ground sooner and get it running and using the contour of the green as our friend. So that's number one. But as far as when do I use what, I think it depends on the quality of the lie. I think it depends on the length of the grass you're playing from, the green you're playing to, how much room you have to play to, how firm or how soft the green is, and the contour of the green. So I don't make very fast decisions when I choose a club. I love when I give a playing lesson and I pull up to the right side of the green and the guy's ball is 35 yards away on the left side of the, you know, left of the green somewhere. He really can't see the liar, see the shot. And he walks to the golf ball with one club in his hands. And invariably he gets over and he goes, oh, I wish I had this club or I wish I had that club. I think you leave the cart if you're riding with, with several options in your hand and I never walked, as in terms of a playing lesson, I say to people, don't go to a golf ball that you can't clearly see the situation of without two or three options in your hand, a running option, a mid-loft option, and a high-loft option, 
So when you get over there and you diagnose the situation, you can make the right choice and have the best chance for success. Tom, one more before I let you go. And when we find ourselves in a fairway bunker, and we still have a pretty lengthy shot to the green, maybe around 150 yards or so, talk about how we're supposed to set up and take that swing so that we get the ball out clean and we hit a good golf shot. Well, you know, stability and balance is a big deal in hitting a good golf shot, right, Chris? So one of the things that people do in a fairway bunker, don't do enough of in a fairway bunker, is kind of dig their feet. And I always kind of like to dig a little little trench, get my feet embedded in the sand a little bit because I want to create some stability so when I make a swing and change direction and try to create some speed, I don't slip. That's number one. Number two, because I embed my feet in, I virtually lowered my center of gravity, so I've got to choke down on the club the same amount that I've lowered myself into the into Mother Earth. Okay, so I want to make sure that matches so I've got a level contact point. I generally play the ball actually a little further forward, which might confuse some people, because I want to pick it clean. I want to hit a clean shot, you know, a thin shot will, will will get me up by the green. A fat shot will get me nowhere. And then generally, I'll I'll choke down on the club and I'll take one more club than I would normally take that distance. So I don't make an aggressive swing. I keep my tempo smooth. So I keep my balance. I keep my stability, and I don't slide around in the sand. That said, I do have to make a decision about the loft I take based on the size of the lip of the bunker in front of me. Also, so sometimes we put ourselves in fairway bunkers where reaching the green on the next swing is not a possibility. So we got to make sure we make some good decisions before we choose the club. Tom, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you online and on social media as well. Thanks, Chris. Well, certainly the easiest way to find me or find my information is at www.tompatry.com. But I'm happy to have anybody text me or contact me at my on my uh, cell at 239 239- 404-7790. And then, of course, my email is tpatry at mindspring.com. But the website, Chris, is probably the best place, just tompatry.com, because that has all my confirmation, all my information, excuse me, embedded in it there. TP, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for uh, being a part of the show again this week. Already looking forward to when you're back in a couple of weeks. And between now and then, all the best, my friend. Chris, these, I, I say this all the time. I'll say it every time I'm on. These listeners don't know how lucky they are to have somebody like you in the airwaves. You bring so many talented people to them every single week. I'm sure Dr. Jones is listening in. I hope we give him a big shout out. And the young man that's coming on behind you has taken on a wonderful situation there in Atlanta. What a great opportunity and what a great facility for the city of Atlanta. So have fun with him. I intend to do just that. Thank you, TP. All the best. We'll catch up soon. Chris, God bless. Thanks, Tom. See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patry, my friends, at Tom Patry uh, um, uh, on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. And you can find him, TomPatry.com, P-A-T-R-I, TomPatry.com. Great stuff uh, online on, on his website and everything he shares every time he joins me on the show, I say, is absolutely outstanding. Makes the show so much fun. And I look forward to having Tom back on the show again in a couple of weeks.